The, um, one of the, the tragic dramas that's playing out on this planet at the present time, as I'm sure you're all aware of, is the, the mass migration of people. And people, millions of people, fleeing from so many difficult situations from wars, from famine, from floods, from corrupt politicians, from discrimination. Just so many, so many reasons for people to be fleeing. And all these, these various causes these various causes and conditions for people fleeing, I think um, can be boiled down to um, the Buddha's teachings. And I think all of these causes and, and certainly all of these all of these, these these factors that I've just named, they're all interconnected. They're all related to each other and I could give a whole talk on that. But um, underlying what's common to them is um, the Buddha's teachings on what he referred to as the three poisons of greed, hatred, and delusion. When we look at all of these causes for these people fleeing, we can see how so much of it, the the wars and the, and the, the climate change, the climate destruction, so much is caused by greed. And we can see so much hatred, hatred that's making these people into victims and, um, and pushing them back, denying them their human rights. And delusion, you know, perhaps the greatest one, the, the delusion that there is no such thing as climate change. And, and the, the, the Buddhist teachings were so clear on these three being the underlying causes of dukkha, of suffering. And so these people, all these, these millions of people, fleeing from all these conditions, and the media and the governments give them different names. Sometimes they're called refugees, sometimes they're called migrants, Sometimes they're called um, things that I don't want to say. Uh, personally, I, th- I, would, I would say they're all refugees, or maybe not all, but the vast majority of them are refugees. And what is a refugee? 
what makes them refugees? A refugee is a person who's seeking refuge. And what is refuge? Refuge is a place of shelter and a place of safety. So all these all these people are fleeing for shelter. They're they're fleeing the dukkha and seeking shelter and safety. And despite a lot of the the press, a lot of the, the publicity, and despite what a lot of governments around the world are saying, it's it's really heartening to see how many people are opening to them and welcoming them and supporting them and helping them. And, and I know that many of you here are, are doing this in different ways. And when I when I reflect on all of this and, and reflect on it in the context of the teachings, certainly I see the greed, hatred, and delusion. And, and I also see that, in a certain way, probably all of us are refugees. We're all refugees. We're all seeking safety and shelter from dukkha. I would say that for most, probably all of us, that's why we're here. And, and maybe if we could all see ourselves as refugees, it would help us to get some understanding of all these other people, all these millions of people, and, and what, they're, what they're going through. The Buddha offered refuge. He offered three refuges. And I'd like to talk a little bit about these three refuges tonight. When when he first started teaching, when the Buddha first started teaching, he asked that people who came to him for teaching, and particularly people who came and made the request to be his students and to, to take the robes, um, he asked that they take refuge in the Buddha. <laughs> Seems like a bit of an arrogant thing to do. You have to take refuge in me if you want to, if you want to participate in this. And in um, in in requiring that of people, what he was requiring, I, I would say, was not so much. Not so much requiring them to take refuge in him as the person, but requiring them to 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 know him. And and he and he said, before you take a teacher, you should spend years with that teacher, and get to really know that teacher, and feel safe, and feel protected, and feel sheltered with that person. And so what he was asking of people is not, I would say, is not so much about him personally, but about the refuge that he could provide. And then it was up to each individual to, to check it out and see, okay, do I find refuge here? And I think that was very wise advice. 
And in in in, in one of the um, one of the one of the definitions of of being a Buddhist is the taking of the three refuges, and the first one being taking refuge in the Buddha. And I really liked what um, Ajahn Chah had to say about that. Um, Ajahn Chah, for those of you who don't know, was a, a great Thai meditation master who died not too many years ago, and. Um, and many of the monks, who um, the Buddhist monks who, who are living in monasteries in Canada and the U.S. now were students of Ajahn Chah. And what Ajahn Chah said was, we take refuge in the Buddha, but the Buddha is dead. How can we take refuge in a dead person? And, and I think it, it points to this, this, this idea, this, this concept this of of not so much taking refuge in the person, but taking refuge in what the person represents or represented. So it's taking refuge in that that finding of protection and shelter and safety. And so coming on retreat, I hope I would hope that the conditions of the retreat provide that provide that sense of, of safety and sense of, of shelter and protection and allow us to, to just to relax and to settle and to open. In taking refugees of the, in the Buddha, I think we, it's, it can also point to taking refuge in, as the, the word Buddha means the awakened one. And so Buddhism is the ism of awakening. And to, to take refuge in the potential for awakening. To take, to take refuge in the potential that all of us have for awakening in any moment. Not necessarily in a one-week retreat or in a month-long retreat or a three-month retreat, not necessarily at some point in this lifetime, not necessarily after many lifetimes, in any moment, awakening is possible. And to find, to find refuge in that. So we take refuge in, in the Buddha, the second thing that the Buddha required or requ- you know, required of people coming to him was to take refuge in the Dharma. In Pali, the language of the Buddha's teachings, Dhamma. Dhamma, or Dharma in Sanskrit. And so taking refuge, finding shelter, finding protection, finding safety, finding guidance, inspiration, in the Dharma. And this word Dharma has different meanings, and I think all of them are applicable here. Uh, the, the first meaning, the most commonly used meaning, is the teachings, taking refuge in the teachings. And so, again, before taking refuge, these people would come to the Buddha, and they'd spend time, and, and the Buddha required this. He would say, well, okay, you come, 
and we have a tryout period. You check me out, I'll check you out, and after a period of time, we'll we'll see. And um, and so during this period of time, they would be getting to know the Buddha, and they would be listening to the teachings and have an opportunity to examine the teachings in light of their own life, their own experience. And 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 as the, as the Buddha as the Buddha said, don't believe something just because I say it, and equally don't believe it just because it's your experience. He said, believe something when it's your experience and your experience coincides with the experience of wise people. So, an opportunity to, to check this out and see, okay, is this, is this relevant to my life? Does it have meaning in my life? And does it, um, does it give me a sense of, ah, oh, yes, here, here I feel... I feel sheltered. I feel at home. And with that, with that, that trust, then we can take refuge in the, in the teachings. The word dharma also means the nature of things, how things actually are. So to take refuge, to find protection and shelter and safety in how things are. This is very much related to taking refuge in the teachings because so much of the teachings are pointing to how things are, the nature of things. And the, the actual, the, defi- the, the dictionary definition of insight is an intuitive knowing of the inner nature of things without thought. This comes right from dictionary. We use this word insight in so many different ways, but in the context of the teachings, it's pointing very specifically at the inner nature of things and coming to that understanding not through thought, not (coughs) through thinking about figuring out, but through direct actual experience. The Buddha referred to it as knowing it in the body knowing it in the body. And this is another one of the reasons why we put so much emphasis on mindfulness of the body. So coming, coming to this understanding, when we just, just having the slightest glimpse of the nature of things, of how things actually are, can bring... Um, inspiration, it can bring confidence and trust in the teachings. And then we find refuge in the teachings. And find refuge in the nature of things. And we'll, we'll speak more about the, uh, the nature of things through the retreat. Um, but just, uh, just to mention one aspect of this is just to know the impermanence of things, and to know it, to know it in such a profound way through our direct experience that we come to recognize that we can't hold on to anything, and any attempt to hold on to anything will give rise to dukkha, 
to suffering, to stress, to anguish, to dissatisfaction. The refuge in the teachings is is also taking refuge in what the what what the the Buddha referred to as the four noble truths. And I know many of you are familiar with this, at least at least intellectually and verbally. The four noble truths being the fact that we do experience dukkha, and that there is a cause for dukkha, and that knowing the cause, there can be an ending of dukkha, and the path, the path that both, it's it's interesting, it's a kind of a two-faceted path. It's a path that leads us to the ending of dukkha through this understanding, through insight. And it's also the path that is the path that is lived by those who are awake. And with the with with insight we come to follow the path. We come to know the path. We come to be the path. And we take refuge in the path. We find refuge in the path. (coughs) So we have refuge, we take refuge in the Buddha, we take refuge in the Dharma. This, um, this, this taking refuge, the taking refuge, is is very much part of the process of of being a refugee and coming to the end of being a refugee. Coming to the end of being a refugee. What what in the context of the teachings in the in the context of these teachings, what does that mean to come to the end? of being a refugee. To the Buddha, and and I would, yeah, I can go along with this, (laughs) to the Buddha, the end of being a refugee is awakening. And awakening or liberation or enlightenment, whatever word you want to use. And what does that mean? What does it mean? Um, basically, it means it means acting and speaking in the world not from a place of greed, hatred, and delusion, these three poisons, so very much related to the underlying causes for all these millions of people who are refugees now. It's living, speaking, acting from a, from a place not of greed, hatred, and delusion, but from a place of wisdom and compassion. Wisdom being the understanding, <coughs> the deep and profound understanding of how things are, and compassion being the response that comes out of this understanding to the suffering, the dukkha of others. And the wisdom and compassion together balancing each other, balancing each other. 
So we can act totally out of compassion, and, and I know many of us have done that, and how quickly we burn out from it. There are people who act totally from wisdom, and when you look at their lives, there's no, you know, they know everything, but there's no real connection with people. There's no real connection with the heart. The Buddha, the Buddha spoke of relative truth, which is the truth of our, the truth of, of our separate, apparent, separate, independent lives, our separateness, our uniqueness, our personalities. And he spoke of the ultimate truth, which is the truth of our interconnectedness, our non-separateness. And some people tend to take up separateness. There's me and you, us and them, here and there. I'm better than you. And there are people who take up ultimate truth. Oh, we're all one. There's no separation. There's no difference. There's no, there's no me. There's no you. The balance is to be able to hold both. And this is the wisdom. The wisdom is to be able to hold both. To see, yes, we are all interconnected, but we also have our separate personalities, <laughs> our separate, our different ways of being. Our, we each have our own uniqueness, and yet we're all interconnected, and we all we all affect one another. We all depend on one another. And from that wisdom comes the compassion. And so the wisdom and the compassion work together. And so again, this is the this is the the, the wisdom that comes from the teachings and that brings refuge with it. After a little while, the Buddha, the Buddha realized that um, he couldn't be the teacher for all these people who were coming to him. He just couldn't take that. Couldn't take that on. He, you know, he, he was holding both <laughs> the ultimate and the relative. <laughs> um, on the on the relative level, he recognized I can't possibly teach all of these people. There's way too many of them, and so. So he he began to have the uh, these people take a third refuge, and that third refuge was taking refuge in sangha. This word sangha, the um, the first dictionary translation of it is gathering. So sangha is a gathering, and it's a very specific type of gathering. It's a gathering of people. And the way it was originally used by the Buddha, it referred to the gathering of people, of those who were able to carry on the teachings. 
And so by taking refuge in the Sangha, they were, these people coming to him were able to take refuge in others who the Buddha had authorized to teach. And so he was able to spread it around. So, so initially, this was what, what Sangha meant. So Sangha, the other, the other dictionary translation of Sangha is community. Community. Taking refuge in community. Finding protection and shelter in community. And when we, when we, when we, when we come to really realize the fact of the interconnectedness of the, this ultimate reality, this interdependence, this non-separateness, we really can get a sense of the importance of community. I think also as we age, <laughs> we get more of a sense of the, the importance of, of community for support and for shelter. And certainly over the past couple of years, Molly referred to, um, to our, the illnesses we've had in the last couple of years, in the last, you know, the last couple of years. And, and certainly we've, we've, been, um, we've been so deeply touched by the support that we've received from, from Sangha, from community. And I don't know how we could have survived without it. And I know many others of you here have experienced the same. We have, um, we have a, um, had a dear friend in India, um, Sister Mary. She, was, she died three years ago, I think. And she was, she was a Catholic nun who worked with the women in the absolute poorest villages of India. And one of the things she did, <laughs> she organized, she went through the villages and she, and she organized the women into groups of ten. And um, one, of, one, of the, one of the things that the women did in these groups of ten, so each group of ten, for each group of ten, she opened a bank account. And the women every month would contribute a few rupees to the bank account, and the bank account would gradually grow. And then, um, and then a woman would put forward a business plan for starting a business. <laughs> and then the other women would discuss it, and they'd take a vote. And they would, and if they voted in favor, out of this fund, they would loan the woman the money to start this business. That was one of the things. The other thing she did with these groups of ten was to organize them to literally shelter and protect each other. And so, for example, if one of the women was beaten by her husband, all the other women would show up on the doorstep <laughs> and let him know, make it clear that if he beat her once more, they would all be there to beat him. <laughs> and the beatings in the village drastically <laughs> reduced. <laughs> the power of Sangha the power of community. And she named these groups. She, she, whenever she spoke about them in English, she called them groups. But whenever she was speaking in Hindi, I would pick up the word she was referring to them as sangata, as sangha, as community. And 
and um, and 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 I think this is a function of community. The function of community is to to shelter and to protect and to take care of each other. And it's it's so important, and and especially. Well, maybe I shouldn't say especially because it was important back then too. But it's so important in with with everything that's happening in the world now. You know, if we if we want to if we want to address all these these different these different causes the the climate change, the wars, the um, the poverty, the lack of jobs, the political corruption. The only way to address all these is through community. And so community is, is, is so, so important. Sangha is so important. I think one, um, perhaps one quality or one characteristic of, of Sangha, I think Sangha, I, I, I see Sangha as as, as a, a community of people who can ask each other, how are you? And be able to actually listen and respond to each other appropriately. And I think Sangha is also a community of people where each person in that Sangha is free to ask for help when they need it. So it's going both ways. It's interdependence. It's interconnectedness. And it's so important. Again, speaking from my own perspective, as we age, I see this as becoming more and more important. And 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 in a, in a way, in a way, I think. I think the younger people now are getting this more than we old folks. The degree of connection is um, is quite remarkable. Molly Molly referred to um, our our two months away, and um, and part of that time was in a a small city in South India, and my brother has retired. And he and his wife are, are living in this, this small city in South India. And we went to visit them. And, um, and in, this, in this small city, there are a good number of our old Dharma friends. And, um, and friends, friends who from like 20, 30 years ago. And some of them we haven't seen for 20 or 30 years. And, and we went to visit my brother and... And the day we arrived, people were calling and saying, come for dinner, come for lunch. We have to see you. How long are you staying? And, and we were so deeply touched by the warmth of this welcome and, and, the, and the conversations, the depth of the conversations. It was like 20 years, 30 years? No way. It was just yesterday. And... and and, and, and in, this, in, in this, this being touched in this way, for, for myself, there was just such a strong sense of, this is sangha. This is community. 
And it's wonderful seeing these people all living in the same city, all having their own independent lives, and yet at the same time supporting each other. You know, we're at the age when um, we're facing cancer and surgery and broken bones and illness and 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 these, and these friends of ours living here are facing all these things and there's the community support this refuge in sangha is so important it's it's so important that ananda the buddha's long-time faithful attendant who listened to all the discourses and memorized all the discourses came to the Buddha one day and said, Buddha, would it be correct to say that Sangha is half of the spiritual life? And the Buddha said, no, Ananda, that's not correct. He said, Sangha is the whole of the spiritual life. The whole of the spiritual life is about sangha, community, good friendship. And why would he say that? I think he would say that because the holy life, the spiritual life, is about coming to this understanding of interconnectedness, of non-separateness. And coming to the coming to the understanding of what it means to have wisdom and compassion, to live with these two in balance. So we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And in, in taking refuge, we have that that safety, that protection. And at the same time, we provide that safety and that protection. And so, so we, can, we, can all live, we can all live together and be together. And, and in, that, in that understanding, in that way of living, we begin to live, perhaps not with the end of or the complete absence of, but at least the lessening of greed, hatred, and delusion. Beginning, beginning to live from a place of non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. Non-hatred can be a difficult one. <laughs> there are a lot of things in this world that, that, you know, it's, it's, it often happens that people take up non-hatred to mean, oh, then I have to love everything and everyone, and and it doesn't mean it doesn't mean I have to like everything in this world and like everyone or love everyone in this world. Metta doesn't mean I have to like and love everyone in this world, but it means to not relate to them from a place of hatred. to be free from hatred. And of course that can show in many different ways. Not to be careful, being careful not to have a fixed idea of how it should be. 
but to really inquire and to really feel into it and see how is it? How is it? And the more the more of us who who can the more of us who can cultivate, develop and live in this way, the more the more it will spread. The more it spreads. And the more it spreads, the greater the possibility. The possibility. There can be so, so easily be so much despair in this world about all this horrible stuff that's happening. But the more that each of us as individuals can become or be part of community, sangha, and spread that, the greater the possibility of truly bringing an end to the greed, hatred, and delusion that causes so much dukkha in this world. And this, 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 this sangha, the sangha, the sangha, the the um, part of the theme of this retreat is metta, friendliness, friendship, kindness, and this is so much of what sangha is about. Sangha is so much about metta, and metta will create sangha, and sangha becomes a cultivator of metta. And the the other part of the theme for this retreat is beginnings and endings. So Sangha is, sangha is a beginning in, in finding refuge in Sangha. Sangha is a beginning of this process. And Sangha is an, an ending of the of the, hopefully, an ending of the habitual, unconscious actions and speech that we use coming out of greed, hatred, and delusion. And of course, greed, hatred, and delusion have lots of different degrees. We could put it down, and we could kind of bring it down perhaps more to a, a level that we can relate to of desire and aversion. And it's not to say that there should never be any desire or aversion because there are things in this world that do need to change. But the 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 question is how do we bring how do we bring about change? Do we bring about change, real change, through greed, hatred and delusion? Or through non greed, non hatred and non delusion? And and all of this is what the, the practice is about. Beginning and ending, metta. Living with wisdom and compassion. So helpful, I think, perhaps to, to reflect on this as we, as we settle more and more into our practice. As we as we bring this attitude of metta to our practice. 
What does that mean? What does it mean to bring an attitude of metta to our practice? And what's the effect of that? Does that change our practice in any way? Does it affect us? Does it touch us in any way? These are all important questions to ask. And not to try to figure out. (laughs) Insight comes without thought. Okay, so being a refugee and ending being a refugee. Beginning and ending for ourselves and for all beings. So let's sit together quietly for a few minutes. May all beings find refuge. May all beings see into the nature of things without thought. May all beings be free from the forces of greed, hatred, and delusion.
So this time is for walking, or if you'd like to continue sitting, perhaps allow some of this to settle. And followed by this is um, followed by that is time for a hot drink, and then the final sitting together of the evening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.